0: Oh. how are we all doing this evening, I wonder? Mm, it's been very uh, lovely to meet with lots of you in uh, small groups and get a sense of how you're practicing and how really everyone seems to be engaging a lot with this theme. And um, it feels like it's a, a useful theme to spot um, the way that we... <coughs> Uh, separate the world into these polarities and then um, concretize them in ways that are really not very helpful. If you're like me, maybe in the moments when you haven't been in deep samadhi and the mind has gotten a little busy, one of the things that my mind spends a lot of time thinking about is me, and myself and my life and the general dramas and problems and challenges of, of me and my life. And I thought what I'd like to offer a little contemplation on this evening is on navigating the polarities that we encounter in our experience of self and really these are polarities maybe in the views we have of ourselves so the most the most kind of basic of these polarities which causes a lot of kind of confusion in the minds of people who are trying to wrap their wrap their heads philosophically around buddha's teaching is the question of do we exist or don't we exist and with our new um, alertness to the creation of binaries and the creation of op- opposites, you know, we can see that these are again two polarities that we can want to grasp one or the other of just to have a definitive answer, for goodness sake, please. You know, am I real? What does this Anatta teaching mean? Am I real? Am I not real? Do I have a self? Don't I have a self? Is there a self? Is there no self? And people came to the Buddha in his, in, his, in his day with exactly the same question, you know, because we somehow think that having the answer to that would solve the problem. And the Buddha always refused to answer that question directly. So this, this middle way falls somewhere between these Two polar views, or these two polar views are exactly that, they are polar views. And if you look directly, if we look directly at our experience of self or selfing, we can quite quickly see with our mindful observation that it's actually a process, and it's a process that's I'm going to use this word yin yanging you know, evolving, fluxing, changing, waxing and waning in many different dimensions simultaneously and it's very difficult to pin down. And so rather than being um, caught up in the question of, you know, what is myself? Do I have one or not? We can be mindful of the experience or the process of selfing, the process of identifying with facets of our experience or with stories or views, ideas, maybe ideas of me and mine. So this is really what the teaching of anatta, non-self, is pointing to. It's pointing to all the different things that we might identify with and ways that we try to stabilize this sense of self and define it and it challenges to ask is this ask, challenges us to ask, is this really true? Is it certain? So this isn't to say that you know self isn't a useful concept. It's an, it's a necessary concept for us to navigate in the world. But we we forget often that it's a mental construct. It's, it involves perception and also fabrication, this word sankhara, this um, kind of building up of experience from the components of experience. And these building blocks include all the language and the stories we've been taught to use as we grew up and through our culture. So we were given a name, we were given a, a ranking in our family sibling order. And you know, this is where I live and this is, this is who these people are in my life and this is the story of myself and my family and what we, what we do and don't do so and then that gets compounded you know with our culture and our education and so on so there's that and then there's also the felt sense of identity that we have with our bodies (coughs) we notice that the body is a is a changing thing and uh, there's nothing in this body well i'm not sure what the latest you know scientific view is of it but there's not much in this body that was here 50 years ago i'm sure you know is this still the same me or is it not me yeah. so there's there's that the, the identification with our physical body and then we get identified with the things that surround us that we make use of and we can notice i mean i wonder how many things have become yours in the space of the last 48 hours All right, this is my mat now and my mug that I'm kind of keeping very carefully to myself because I like <laughs> it and uh, my bathroom my bedroom etc <coughs> or I really, I really remember I, I still have this I don't know if you notice how well uh, cars kind of take on a kind of aura of their owner (laughs) sometimes or other other items maybe you don't feel that about cars but maybe it comes from the childhood of you know really thinking oh that that's that's daddy's car you know they take up they take on a flavor once i was working on a retreat with a a yogi who was doing a, a long retreat but doing it commuting from home for various reasons and they were saying how they could really feel kind of in the fabric of the things around them. Or they I think they were spending part of the time in the retreat centre and part of the time at home and how the the kind of just the stuff in the bathroom, the tube of toothpaste and things has a different feel at home. It's kind of impregnated with a sense of, of me and mine. And so we extrapolate from that and we think because I have all these things, there must be a me who owns them. And then we have this, you know, legal identity. I'm a legal entity because I own my stuff. Yeah. And that's, of course, that's, that's useful. It uh, it's has a function, but we then take it to be a more solid thing than it actually is. So the early discourses, the suttas, they have these similes for perceptions and fabrications. They say perceptions are like mirages. They shift according to, you know, as we approach them, or they can shift according to, to, uh, to context. And the fabrications, the, the stories that we build from them are like a plantain tree. And a plantain tree is one of those types of trees that's just, the trunk of it is just made of overlapping leaves and uh, layers of leaf, like an onion. So if you peel it back, you know, you don't find the centre, you just find another leaf. And this is how our stories work. They stack up one upon the other, upon the other. So we're we're not meant to eradicate, there's nothing wrong with perception or with fabrication, we're not meant to eradicate them but we can learn to hold them lightly or to not to grasp them and to disentangle from them and therein lies a vast potential for freedom from the suffering that we create around them and through them and also for a more creative way of engaging with them we all, want to, we all want to be safe and the unenlightened heart seeks this by trying to hold on to things by trying to solidify things rather than by letting go Whereas the awakened heart recognizes that paradoxically, freedom comes from non-clinging, from the letting go of this attempt to really to grasp the ungraspable. Yeah. So that is that non-clinging means not trying to get rid of things and also not trying to hold on to them, because trying to get rid of something to push it away is a is. Um, another form of clinging, it's again, you know, creating, fixing this polarity. So I just wanted to reflect this evening on some of the polarities in the experience of selfing that I've been noticing or contemplating recently, and maybe some of them will sound familiar to you, maybe with different twists and nuances. and as as uh, as we reflect on these just bearing in mind that the understanding that we've really been leaning into these couple of days that with each polarity that we identify it co-arises with the other polarity and sometimes we don't see that we only see the one end of the, the spectrum but actually this is a really an interesting play to do is to spot where's the, where's the other end of this where's the other end of it and i really like this to bear in mind this image of the yin yin and yang yin and yang the two Fishes in the so contained in the circle of fish shapes that kind of seamlessly merge into one another, and as one grows, the other one diminishes. So often put in black and white or light and dark, and um, also in in this symbol, in the centre of the juicy part of each of each. Of these two fishes, I'm sorry, I don't have the picture to show you, but I imagine that you all know this picture in your mind's eye. In the in the middle of the fullness of one extreme, is a little kernel or a drop of the other one, so that even as the opposite grows to fullness, the other one is beginning to re-emerge or starts to re-emerge. So some of the polarities of selfing that I've been noticing recently. And one is, there's this me here who's supposed to be or should be in control of things. Of course I should be, you know, I'm supposed to be the teacher here. I'm supposed to be a responsible adult. Um, You know, I like to be competent, I like to be efficient, I don't like to be a burden to people I should have got my life in order by now, blah blah (laughs) You know, I don't want to to be seen as useless or helpless So this person likes to pop her head up often and then at the other end there's the me who kind of becomes a helpless victim and feels totally totally useless and the me who actually really the my worst fear is being discovered to be completely useless so whose fear is that you know the the one who wants to be in complete control is terrified of being discovered to be completely useless and the one who kind of wants to hide away is completely useless It doesn't really want to own up to the fact that I do have some choice or some agency in how I relate to what's happening so you might notice even in, in large and even in small ways here on retreat when things don't go according to plan, what is our response when that happens? Do we start sliding around in this spectrum and being the one who's in control to the one who's a victim? So just the week before this retreat, I. I got, I got quite a bad cold and I was feeling flu-y and, you know, all these things, symptoms that could have been COVID and so on. And I tested many times and I was COVID negative, so here I am and I'm happy to say I'm feeling way better. But it's very interesting, isn't it, when we suddenly are, our bodies don't do what they're supposed to do and we feel incapacitated in different ways. And that was just a, You know, that was just a bad cold. That wasn't a fraction of the health um, challenges that come to visit us and come to visit some of us here. But when suddenly our body and our mind that's impacted by the condition of our body, Kirsten was talking about aging and this brain fog, which I totally relate to, to. too. (laughs) Fairly <laughs> twinny in that respect, <laughs> um, and things don't perform as we want them to, and so we can start, you know, we, we can fall into this identity this catastrophizing of, Oh, you know, I can't cope, mm. but actually. There's something to be said for recognizing our vulnerability, allowing our vulnerability. This is a challenge for a lot of us. It connects us with our humanity and it awakens the heart to compassion. Another thing that can really shatter our, our sense of control in our life is when we experience a big loss and that sense of the things that supported us to operate in the ways that have become familiar suddenly being um, pulled out from underneath us and it's absolutely normal, it's absolutely understandable that we would feel a sense of disorientation and a loss of a loss of control, a loss of uh, being a familiar, familiar self. Uh, and maybe we bounce into that sense of we can feel ourselves in that situation, in, in all situations of this nature, that we bounce into that sense of I, I, I'm a victim. And so, when we when we feel ourselves sliding around on this spectrum, it's an with all these polarities, an invitation to notice notice what's happening, and to um, recognize again this territory in the middle that it's not an either or, it's a both and. That these manifestations of selfing are just the product of conditions and we don't have to um, grasp them or we grasping them is not helpful not to identify looking at the you know, radical instability that comes with Finding, finding oneself in a situation such as is unfolding in Ukraine. you know, And I know this is happening and has been happening all through our lives in different places in the world, but there's something about it, you know, the way that for various reasons, for many of us, it feels closer to home. There's a sense of waking up to the the way that stability can disappear very very swiftly uh, recognizing that we're not so in control of our worlds as we perhaps have been assuming what would we do in those situations an interesting thing to, to contemplate and I'm reminded of um, Viktor Frankl who famously said, you know, reflecting on his time in the concentration camps, that between stimulus and response there's a space and in that space is our power to choose our response And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. We should be cultivating this responsibility now when the situations, when the circumstances are supportive because none of us know when they're going to become less supportive. He also said, everything can be taken from a person but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's own attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. So choosing to identify with a helpless victim or not identify with a helpless victim is a sen- in a sense a choice. And that's not to say that we there aren't situations where we have absolutely no control over what happens to us, but we can choose our attitude. We can choose our response. And we can taste in our practice what is a more liberating, liberated attitude to choose. So if we find ourselves always in control, or we find ourselves somehow the identity of the me who should always be in control, we can recognize actually this is, this is an illusion. When are we ever completely in control? And if we find ourselves feeling completely helpless, completely useless, recognizing that this too is a polarity that we've fallen into. We have the option to choose an attitude in this moment, to choose actually something to cultivate. So that's one pair of opposites. Another thing that comes up for me a lot is the me who belongs and the me who doesn't belong. Don't know if that speaks to you. In our families, in our social circles, here on retreat. Know, retreat centres can be a lovely place for, or new, new groups can be a place for, kind of teasing at our edges around that. So the, the sense of belonging or not belonging arises with a context that we find ourselves in. A place where we, we feel that we have to do certain things, right things, to belong. I was kind of I was saying to Kirsten earlier this afternoon I feel very confused about the use of my face mask because I find myself remembering to put it on when I'm walking down an empty corridor here. <laughs> and then and then I sit with a group in the library with the windows closed and we're not very far from each other and there's no mask. And, and, and I realised that some of my some of my concern with this, if I'm brutally honest, some of my concern with this is not about being anxious about the health, it's about needing to do the right thing, especially because I'm a teacher, you know, and, um, yeah, to fit in, to do it it right, in order to belong. So that's a really trivial example, but we we kind of... We want to bring the self that belongs and then anything that we think doesn't belong, we have to kind of keep out from being here. And of course on a retreat we want to encourage a sense of welcoming and we say in the welcoming at the beginning, everything belongs, it's all welcome and we mean it. And yet, you know, there's also this sense of, well, we know that there's certain So there, there is a certain appropriate way to show up for one another's welfare here. But we can also squash out aspects of ourselves that we feel don't belong. And that, and sometimes, and and even our preoccupation with belonging and not belonging—it comes down to this sense of, I want to find a kind of a stable identity where I can say, check that box, and you know then I'll be, I'll be safe and secure. So at least let me decide whether I belong here or I don't belong here, because that's better than this kind of ambiguous thing of sometimes I feel like I belong, sometimes I feel like I don't belong. Yeah. And then what that can also trigger, I've noticed in retreats and in myself, is it, c- it can trigger that sense of the rebel. It's like, it's, I'm gonna be compliant or I'm not going to be compliant do we have that sometimes and find ourselves yin yanging between those two and and sometimes we even exaggerate the non compliance so that we can kind of affirm okay i'm an independent person here i'm independent and where where does that leave us at the end of the day i think do i belong and do i not belong also it's it's maybe highlighted for lots of us as sort of coming out of the pandemic where some of our usual social interactions and things have been really curtailed and it's almost like we've been in an extended hibernation down a burrow and then you peek your head out and it's like is this all safe and familiar again i don't know if we, you know it feels like edgy to go to s- go to the cinema or all these different different situations that we might find ourselves in. So this is another thing that we're all contending with at the moment. The other day, I was contacted by an old school friend who I was at school with from the age of eleven to eighteen, who I haven't seen for about ten years saying, who said, we're having a a school reunion in the summer, a group of us, do you want to come? And it's just brought up all this stuff about the comparing mind, about all these people that I was at school with who didn't become Buddhist nuns and end up being (laughs) Dharma teachers and uh, living this unconventional life and who have husbands and three children and careers and different things and and a sense of do I really fit in and where do where do I fit with these people which went way way back to school in fact one of this, the two of them that have I've just been in touch with this week her nickname for me when we were about 12 was odd <laughs> so there was obviously something brewing already (laughs) then, and it was very affectionate but it's it you know it really um speaks to this sense of we we want we want to fit in and yet actually i could so the 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 non-belonger can go down this rabbit hole of uh, you know i i just i'm such a misfit in this in this world and then recognizing that actually what makes us welcome in these worlds and it's easier to see this in the context of other people than of ourselves is actually our uniqueness being ourself bringing what we bring the same in a retreat center you know it's we're not all supposed to be coming becoming sort of carbon copies of the perfect yogi the perfect retreatant it's it's our uniqueness that is beautiful and that gives us something to contribute. And when we identify completely with a polarity, we don't even notice the things that come in to disprove it, do they? That come to bring us back into balance. Because there's paradoxically there's something about the more uncomfortable something feels, the more real it feels, have you noticed? Yeah. And we can let this dukkha be an invitation to as Kirsten's been saying today, to, to pose that question Am I falling into one of these binary traps here? Into am I falling into a view? But often what we do when things are uncomfortable is rather than apply this mindfulness and investigation as we go into reactivity and the reactivity reinforces it. Yeah. So let's let our discomfort be a wake-up bell to explore you know, where, where is something being clung to? Where is there greed? Where is there aversion? Where is there delusion or confusion? happening in the mind another pair of binaries that's been pointed out to me by a benevolent friend in the past couple of weeks is uh, between there's a sort of fun loving adventurous um, spontaneous and energetic sort of Jaya who lately has been learning flamenco dancing and things like that And likes to climb mountains and so on and then there's a very very dutiful responsible over cautious somewhat um, introverted over studious cautious me who yeah needs to be responsible for everything and i find these two Jaya's pulling sometimes in different directions or I've noticed that they really pull in different directions and I don't know what your personal you know character polarities might be but do you ever feel yourself kind of pulled in two directions and when we kind of yo-yo or flip flop between each side should that dis- that side dictate my choices or should that side dictate my choices and when i fall into that it's as if the middle kind of gets hollowed out like that sense of empowerment and agency and clarity just disappears and there's this like oh and then i realized as i was with the help of this wise friend contemplating these these two sides of myself that actually rather than letting them tug in opposite directions Maybe they could help each other. Maybe they could come in and support each other. Sometimes we need energy and adventure and spontaneity, and sometimes we need caution, um, discernment, um, you know, um, steadiness, seriousness. And I had the image of the the. Um, the rod of asclepius you know the doctors the doc- the healing image of this rod and the snake coming up it or you also have the caduceus which is the hermes image which is like two snakes coming up and and the wings on the top and how actually when when one feels oneself pulled in these two directions and they feel like they're in conflict or averse to one another what about turning them round that they could actually befriend each other and work in partnership together so they you know, all of all of these different sides of us want us to be happy and they have different different tools at their disposal for bringing that about so could we perhaps let them dance together and support each other rather than feel like they're pulling us in opposite directions letting them befriend each other yeah. so this is maybe something in our practice of um, metta or loving kindness for ourselves, or our practice of loving kindness the more that we can flavor our awareness with this sense of kindness with metta we can allow metta to infuse the activities of these different bits of our personalities this is where we can play with our imagination also and let them, let them start to, okay, so if this, if this aspect of myself were operating with kindness towards the other, what would the, how would they collaborate with one another? So we can apply that maybe to, if we have a, a fearful self that manifests and a courageous self, How are they going to dance together? If you recognize that inside the, the fearful self, there's this little kernel of courage that's available to look for the drop of courage within the fearful self or let fear be an invitation to remember courage. Courage is a really important quality on this path. I think it's a useful translation or nuance of the, the term virya, energy, which is one of the spiritual faculties, one of the awakening factors, really essential, one of the paramis, really essential quality, and its root contains this idea of, of courage. And courage also has the root of heart, so that our wholeheartedness, our heartfulness. Sometimes courage is the necessary ex- response. Sometimes actually there are things that are where it's appropriate for fear to manifest. So the perception of danger is actually one that is... Um, praised in the teachings in certain contexts, to recognize the precarious of life precariousness of life to recognize that um you know this body is vulnerable to aging sickness and death at a finger snaps notice you know and to so to not waste our time and to recognize also the danger in unwholesome states. Yeah. So there are things it's appropriate to be. to be fearful of. but often our fear latches onto um, things that are not so helpful, not appropriate. Then there's the kind and caring mm-hmm. me versus the angry, resentful, bitter, me. And even the angry self is sometimes helpful. One of the things I've found useful that I heard about anger have, had said of anger is that it shows us where our boundaries are. So when we act out on our anger, it's dangerous. It can sow fear and breed conflict. When we, when we suppress it, it becomes toxic, it can turn into hate. But just the arising of anger, actually, it shows us where our boundaries are. The kind, caring, loving me, which can feel difficult to access sometimes. We get it out and give it some exercise in the practice of metta, one of the questions comes up that people sometimes say is, I feel, I feel phony when I'm doing this. I feel. it feels a- inauthentic. It can be easier to identify with our aversive self rather than our friendly and loving self. Not all the time, but sometimes. And a, a wise colleague of mine said recently, Why? Why do you think that your that self is more fake than the aversive self? You know, your there's your compassion is no more fake than your aversion. That was interesting to me. It's very easy to, to you know to just or it's interesting to see what do we identify more strongly with, what do we take as a an identity more Maybe you're the opposite way round, but some of us, we identify more easily with our aversive self than with our loving self. There's a generous me and a selfish me. And the selfish me is uncomfortable. It feels that contraction. And so in that, you know, that let, that could be my teacher in generosity because the feeling of the dukkha is the awakening of wisdom. <coughs> so these, these poles can start to teach each other. Sayadaw Ute says, don't look down on the defilements. Don't look down on our grungy reactive states of mind. We can let them be our teachers. So the the temptation is to try and find stability in life by by confirming the sense of me that's manifesting right now. I invite you to investigate this in your experience even even and often when it's when it's an uncomfortable one and we feel these polarities in ourselves, kind of tugging at one another and when we do that we we often think that we have to find out which one's real and then deal with it If I just knew which was the real me then I would I would kind of go in and sort that one out (laughs) you ever have that feeling so actually let's just be interested in okay there's a tussle between these two extremes happening and it can be a reminder not to take either of them too personally or too seriously and maybe we can let them all belong When there's nothing that's actually really me, it's interesting to reflect, there's also nothing that's not me. There's nothing that I have to disown. So let's let these, these feelings of kind of conflict internally, feeling this dukkha of polarization, be a catalyst for disenchantment, disenchantment with the process of identification itself, with this grasping at the the ends of the spectrum. Because the Buddha said, you don't have to find out who is the real you. Well, I'm slightly paraphrasing what he said there, but you don't have to find out who's the real you because that kind of thinking will take you round and round in circles and waste your mental energy. It's what's called (laughs) ayoniso manasikara, Unwise attention or rootless mental activity, yeah. and it 's opposite wise attention or yoniso Manasikara means you just have to understand what is skillful and unskillful from for disentangling you to, from going round in circles for liberating us from the preoccupation with I, me, mine, and thinking that we will find safety by landing in the right view of ourself or inhabiting, becoming the right view of ourself. So just inviting us to let all these different manifestations be part of our path, and sometimes inviting them to dance together, to play together, and then we can start to let the path guide us rather than our neuroses rather than these um, these identities that are shaped by the defilements. So inviting us to, when we notice these these arisings of conflicted self aggrandizing forms of selfing to use them as a catalyst to to wake up a catalyst for kindness a catalyst for compassion and a catalyst for creative engagement I think I'll end here Let's just take a moment or two to let the thoughts settle.